Okay, so raise your hand if you've seen that movie. All right, Princess Bride, it's, it's a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. But uh, marriage, marriage, marriage is what brings us together tonight. Now, I know what you guys are probably thinking. You're probably thinking, like, Jonathan, we're a long ways off from marriage. Um, and I get it. You guys probably are a long ways off. But in reality, like, it's going to get here before you know it. And so, um, like we've been talking about throughout this entire series... Uh, culture tries to force certain ideas on you guys about relationships, about sex, about marriage, about guys, about girls, and what you're supposed to mold into for that. And so, so what we're trying to do with this series is give you a biblical um, perspective, a biblical worldview on what those things actually should look like based on Scripture. Because that's going to be super valuable for you guys um, entering into really, really important relationships, especially as you grow older, um, that could potentially lead to marriage, that you're you're traveling down that road and and you're doing it the way that God's called you to do it. And so tonight we're going to talk about marriage, and I'm going to try my best not to get off on any like rabbit trails, because as most of you guys know, um, I'm a marriage and family therapist, so like I have a lot of thoughts that I'm going to try to like not like jump off on the rabbit trails, but if I do, I apologize. Um, this is one of these topics that like I love because I love the fact that marriage is, is this, this beautiful, beautiful relationship that God designed for a very specific and very, very unique and special purpose. And, and because of that, because of the way that I see how God's, God uses that when it's actually being done right um, for the glory of his kingdom, like I'm really passionate about it. That's one of the reasons why I like doing couples counseling so much is because I truly believe that at the foundation of, of the family system of culture and so forth um, is the marriage relationship. And when that relationship is going well and things are going well between that couple, um, it, 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 it filters down to every part of the family and ultimately into culture. And so, um, so we're going to look tonight at, uh, first we're going to look at um, some of the statistics, okay? And I, the reason I want to look at these statistics is so that you guys can kind of know um, like what, what kind of state we are in in our country um, with marriage. And, and I, I know that statistics sometimes can be really boring. We aren't going to spend a whole lot of time on them. I'm just highlighting something with these that, that marriage um, is, is under attack. It's been under attack since the garden. And it's continued to be under attack up into this present day. Now, it seems like to this present day, when we throw up these statistics, you're going to think like, whoa, like that's crazy. And it is crazy. And there's a lot of factors that are going into it. But there, there's no denying that marriage from the beginning of time has been under attack. And that we have a very real enemy that doesn't like marriage because it's something that God instituted. And so now I'm jumping ahead of myself. So let's look at the statistics first. There have been a de- there's been a decline from 1970 to 2010, 50% of the annual marriages each year. So half the marriages between that time um, that would have normally happened within a year okay, are no longer happening. Now, there's a lot of factors that play into that, but, but this speaks to, the, um, the I think, the idea that our culture has about marriage, which is that it's archaic, 
that it is stifling, that it's constricting, that, it, hey, it's going to end in divorce anyway, so let's just not. Um, it's too much of a commitment, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. And so more and more people are choosing not to get married, and more and more people are choosing to get married later on in life, which, again, there's a lot of different factors to that. I'm not saying that people are bad if they don't get married, but there's a lot of factors to that, and that speaks to how our culture maybe is beginning to view marriage as less important than what we possibly viewed it earlier in time. So 50% decline, only 63.1% of men and 60.7% of women classify their marriage as being a happy marriage. It is super sad. I mean, it, it is sad that that, that, that low percentage um, classifies their marriage as a happy marriage. Now, I know that also can be defined in a lot of different ways, but like at the most basic level, like that, that is very sad. And it's sad that, that um, in our culture, because marriage is under attack, that like this is normal. Like it's normal to have a negative perception about marriage. It's almost like, and I, Aaron and I can relate with this because we've been dreaming and stuff, and like, like when, when a dream is lost, it's easier to go ahead and shoot that dream or that desire before we get to the place where it gets ripped away from us. And so I'm wondering if part of this is that people automatically expect that their marriage is going to stink, that it's not going to be that great. Of course, they don't think that when they're standing at the altar. But, but like when they start getting into the nitty-gritty of it, um, and then they, they begin to uh, expect, like, hey, this is just the way that it is. They accept the fact that, hey, I'm not connecting really well with my bride or my, my groom. And so, therefore, like, I'm just going to, like, accept this because this is what it is. It's hard, and it is hard, but there's a whole lot of joy and beauty that's, that's possible in the marriage relationship that's not possible in any other relationship if we fight for it. And so I think that this speaks to, again, um, the willingness for our culture to fight for something more in marriage relationships. The divorce rate has nearly doubled since 1960. Okay, so again, there's a lot of different factors for this. But it doesn't take away from the reality that, that it's about twice as much since 1960. In fact, it's between 40 and 50% divorce rate. Um, so, so one of every two marriages, about, um, by statistics, are going to end in, in divorce. Okay? Now, it's just a statistic. That doesn't mean that, that that's always true. But again, our culture, one of the reasons that this has gone up, which ticks me off, is that they made it easier to legally get divorced. It used to be really hard. In fact, you had to have both people choose to get divorced. They had to both agree to that in order to get a divorce. But now, you don't have to, you don't have to have one person agreeing. Like, or you don't have to have both people agreeing to get a divorce. One person can file a divorce and then it goes through the court system and it's just easy. There's other reasons that are, are playing into this. But again, our culture, um, it, 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 it's, you can tell through these statistics that, that the idea and the importance that we place on marriage is continuing to decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease. And it's obliterating um, this bond that God designed for something so much more beautiful um, than what we're accepting at this point. So these are the statistics. Have I lost you guys on that? Some of you guys are like steering off into like la-la land. That's okay. All right. So why is this the case? Well, there's a few reasons. But I want to start with this one. Cause, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but like Satan hates marriage. Satan hates it. And, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself because we're going to talk about um, how marriage, uh, how God designed it and why it's such a beautiful thing. But God instituted marriage in the garden. Okay? And we're going to read a passage here in a second that, that talks about that. But he instituted marriage and it was meant to be a reflection of his image. 
So of course, Satan's going to hate it. Of course, Satan's going to hate that God designed something beautiful and good and, and something that was to reflect his image. Of course, Satan's going to come against that and of course, he's going to just do everything that he can to break apart the marriage relationship because on earth, it is one of the most intimate pictures that we have that reflects the image of God. So of course, Satan's going to just like be all up in arms against it. Like that's a no-brainer. And so you see that not just in our culture where the divorce rate's 50%, yada, 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 but like all the way through um, the centuries that, that time and time and time again, uh, Satan tries to trip up men and women and tries to cause them to break apart that union that they made before other people and before God. And, and it's, a t- it's a thing that he's been doing since the garden. And he will continue to do it. So I say that to say, don't be ignorant when you walk into marriage thinking, hey, everything's going to be roses and daisies. Because not only do you have two people that are broken and flawed, but you have an enemy that is going to try to to infiltrate and break you guys apart. So keep that at the forefront, because if you don't, you'll get taken out. All right. So the second thing is that culture discredits marriage. And we already talked about that. But what I mean by that is that like the importance of marriage, an institution that God created in the garden um, and established in the garden, that 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 institution has been so important to so many cultures, and I don't remember who the um, uh, the sociologist was, but uh, there was a study that was done, which is really fascinating, um, that when a culture starts to reject marriage, the traditional view of marriage, the biblical view of marriage, one man, one woman, forever, when they start to reject that, that time and time again it shows that like this, this research shows that that culture eventually unravels and falls apart. That's a big deal. And you think that our culture would slow down and be like, oh, well, let's look at history and learn from this. But it seems like that we're doing the complete opposite. It's like, no, man, it's free choice. You can do whatever you want to. It doesn't matter. That's archaic. We don't have to have that. You know, blah, 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 blah. But if you look back to culture after culture after culture, there comes a point where morality is tossed out the window, where marriage and the, the importance of that is tossed out the window, and then you see that culture unravel on itself. Now, why does that happen? That happens because marriage, the marriage relationship, is like foundational to, to culture. Do you guys understand what I mean by culture? Like, like the United States of America, okay? Like, that's not just the only culture, but... But it's foundational because out of a marriage comes what? Babies. Babies, children, families. Okay, so you have all these little mini micro, like, you know, uh, communities. Okay, little micro babies now. Um, but you have all these communities. And so, so out of that, there's a building of families. And out of that, there's a building of extended families and so forth and so forth and so forth to where you have societies of hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And, of course, if you come along and you're playing Jenga and you take out that bottom piece, it's a good game, and you take out that bottom piece, what's going to happen? It's going to tumble over at some point. Now, you might be able to take out a few pieces. I'm not suggesting that we do that with marriage, but you might be able to take out a few pieces and it's still like, oh, but give it enough time and you just keep on taking out pieces that are foundational to what culture is and needs to be, and that culture is going to fail. It will, and it will fall in on itself. And I wonder to myself, in all the, the upheaval that we have in the United States, I'm wondering how much of that is connected to this. It's so unstable. Is it not? Crazy unstable. Okay, so our culture discredits marriage. And then uh, finally, our flesh uh, 
pushes against marriage. Now, this one's the hardest one for me to like embrace because it's like, no, 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 like, like I'm not the problem, right? Like Aaron's not the problem. It's, it's Satan or it's culture or whatever. But really, now my nose is running because I was bending over. That's kind of gross. Um, anyways, yeah. But really, um, there's also a sin nature at work in all of our relationships. You get close enough to a person and you're waking up next to them in bed every morning and you're just like, wow, that person's still there. I'm not saying this in a mean way. Because like, really what it is is it's like, wow, I have to deal with myself again today. Like, I want to be a selfish little turd, but I can't. Like, it pushes against that. Like, I want to be, like, you know, I want to do what I want to do, but I can't because I got another person here. You know, like, I, and it's a beautiful, great thing. Don't hear me out. It's a beautiful and great thing. And we're going to talk about how that, that process is so, so good. And I think that it's one of the reasons why God designed marriage and he created it as an institution is because of that process where my flesh pushes against Aaron's flesh and it's just like, ah, like at times like, like, why are you so difficult? Why am I so difficult? Like, why, 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 why? You know? Now, okay, Aaron might, oh, Aaron's never difficult, but I am always difficult and I'll, I'll admit that. I'll embrace it. Okay. But our flesh is also playing into this. Um, and so, so marriage is under attack from, from Satan, from culture, and also uh, our own sinful nature because it's hard to get close to somebody. That's true of any relationship, but especially marriage. So let's look at what the Bible says about marriage. Now, I'm going to go all the way back to the garden, okay? We're going to read this passage. Um, back, can I have one of you guys read it so I can, like, I will, no, I breathe a little bit? I will, yeah. Jordan's going to read it. All right. What is it? Oh, it's you not to read off. <laughs> you do this, yeah. So it's Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Now this is in the garden. Okay, you guys know where we're at, right? Garden of Eden. Way back in the, way back in the day. Okay. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. <clears throat> so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of, took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this is... This is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and a mother and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united you yeah, united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame. Okay. Thank you. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Okay. So this is in the garden, right? And so so let me paint this picture. God creates Adam, he molds Adam, and Adam wakes up and God's bringing animals to him for him to name, which would have been a pretty cool thing, okay? But but God, out of all the things in creation, he kept on saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. But when he saw that Adam was alone and didn't have a helper, he said, it's not good. And so in that moment, God chose to create Eve. And then when he created Eve and woke Adam up from his anesthesia, Adam looks at her and is like... Yeah, she's hot. Like, like that's what that means. Like, basically, like, you did a really great job, God. Like, this is awesome. This is way better than any of the animals you've created, okay? And so, 
So he's excited. And God's excited. Now, you have to understand, like, the beauty of this. God is Trinitarian, okay? So there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so out of their perfect communion, intimacy with one another, relationship with one another, they created creation and created humanity. And so out of that, the the man and the woman reflect that image that they that they have in a special way that the animals don't. And so here in a second, we're going to talk about this. Um, actually, let me just go ahead and talk about it. Um, so, so marriage um, was the first institution. I'm going to hop back to this one here in a second, but let's talk about this. Marriage um, is about reflecting all of God's image. Okay? So what's so cool about this, and I've talked about this in past uh, lessons, I can I reflect certain parts of God's um, his, his image that Aaron can't because she has a feminine soul. In the same way, she reflects things about God's image that I can't because I have a masculine soul. Okay? And so you see this beautiful moment where God sees like Adam is alone. It's not good. But in addition to that, when he created Eve, there was a more complete picture of, of God's image re- being reflected through their relationship with one another and purely because of the femininity of, of Eve and the masculinity of Adam. Which is so cool. So, so, and I'm going to come back to the uh, to the first one here in a second. But um, it says that the two become one. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I'm terrible at math. But I'm like, how does that work? Because one plus one should be two, right? But in in scripture, it says one plus one is one. And 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 this is what it means. It means that these two individuals that reflect God's image in a special way come together and united in marriage. And when they're united in marriage, they become one. Now, obviously, there's physical intimacy um, portrayed in that. But, like, think about the image of God, okay? If I was never married to Aaron, I was never married, I could still reflect the image of God. Don't get me wrong. There's parts of the image of God that I can reflect and Aaron can reflect. But if I was never married, I would still have part of the image of God that I could not reflect, purely because I'm not designed to reflect that part. But in the same sense, Aaron couldn't either. But when we're united and we're brought together as one, then all of a sudden in the, the day-to-day relationship and us living life together and us reflecting what it means to love one another, we reflect the image of God in a different way than we could never do apart from one another. You following me? This is why Satan hates marriage. This is why it's so important that this relationship is, is, is good. That, that it's something that, that, that we're closely knit together so that we can do a better job of reflecting the image of God. So when two become one, it, like it's, it's kind of like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's purely like 50-50, but it's like having one piece of the puzzle, and you can kind of get the picture here, but you don't really see the whole picture until you bring that other piece of the puzzle in. And so that's, that's what it's talking about with the two becoming one. And so what do I mean by uh, the first institution? So we're in the Garden of Eden. Okay, you get the fact that like marriage is older than the church. Marriage is older than the written scriptures. Not saying that marriage is older than, than the Word, because the Word became flesh and Jesus is eternal, but older than the written scriptures. Those things are extremely important, right? Yeah, that's an understatement. And yet marriage was the first institution that God instituted in the garden. I think that that should cause us to pause and think about how important it is how extremely vital it is. And so he instituted this at the foundations of creation. And so do you you hear the prideful arrogance of a culture saying, "Ah, that's not that important? Can you hear, like, it's almost blasphemous. Oh, well, that thing that God 
that God uh, instituted in the garden back at the foundations of creation, whatever. Like, we, we can define it the way that we want to. You can cohabitate all you want to. You can do this. You can do that. Whatever. It's all about your choice. Well, no, it's not. Because God instituted this, this relationship for a specific reason, a beautiful reason to reflect his image. And, and, and in addition to that, and we're just going to talk about how it um, affects us as individuals, but in addition to that, it's foundational to culture in general. So if you're coming at it from a purely secular perspective, like it's still idiotic to, to toss marriage out the window, the traditional view of marriage. Just, it doesn't make any sense. And so, um, so it was instituted in the garden. Um, it was the first institution. So, um, what is it? Okay, so, so it's about God, right? So marriage is about God, about reflecting God. So, so what about us? And this is where um, I'm going to talk about what it means for me and Aaron to, to live in relationship with one another. Biblical marriage is about our sanctification. Now, this is a big word, okay? So all this really means is when I accept Jesus Christ and I start living my life the way that he's called me to, I become more like him each day. That's the goal at least, okay? So I should be more like Jesus Christ today than I was yesterday. So that's what sanctification means. Now, marriage gives us companionship, okay? I have the opportunity to live life with Aaron on a day-to-day basis, moment-by-moment basis, and, 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 and part of me living life with her and her living life with me, like there is a transformation that happens again that could have never happened apart from this relationship. Like It was real easy for me to be selfish and sinful and arrogant and prideful and all sorts of stuff and really not even be super aware of it. But then when you start waking up next to a person that, that reflects it back to you and says, guess what, you're being a turd or whatever. She doesn't really say that, but guess what? Like... Reflection, 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 reflection. I'm like, ah, get away from me, you human mirror. Like, I don't want to see myself. But, but there's a beauty in that because God's using her just purely in the relationship, not because she's coming along like, I am Mother Teresa here to sanctify you. No, like she's coming, it's like just us being in a relationship, I'm being transformed by that and vice versa. And it's hard sometimes, is it not? It is real hard. And so, so it gives us companionship, and you saw that in the garden that God said it wasn't good for him to be alone. So there's something beautiful about the marriage relationship that it does fulfill some sort of desire that I have for companionship and vice versa, and that sanctification comes from that. Okay. But it also provides fulfillment. It also provides fulfillment. Now, we all have desire, right? We all have, like, like desires that are God-given, and they're good, okay? However... Like, there's some desires that are a little bit more innocent and some that aren't, okay? So, so I'm going to briefly touch on this. Briefly. We're just going to skim the surface. I'm going to briefly touch on this. Um, but such as, like, the sexual desire that God gives us as, as sexual creatures. Okay, so, so that's a good God-given desire. However, there are certain contexts that that's appropriate in and good in. And then there are certain contexts that it's not. It's kind of like this. Everybody likes a fire in a fireplace, right? It's great. Like, it's warm. It's, it's, it's good. Like, it's great. It's a, it's a perfect thing. But let's just say that I took that fire and took all the embers and tossed it onto your bed while you were laying in bed. Okay. Not so enjoyable, is it? Right? Like, oh, I don't even know what's going on right now with Jordan. Huh? Seriously? Okay, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyways, now I've lost my train of thought. So you toss it on the bed, and and all of a sudden it's panic. It's not like, oh, this is a nice cozy fire. No, it's like, oh my god, I 
the water buckets, get out of the house, whatever. A fire is a great thing in a certain context. And so when we're talking about sex, and, and we see in Scripture that that's to be reserved for the marriage bed, period. And so let me just clear something else up real quick, because our culture has, and is even inside the church, let me be very clear about this. Okay, Okay. well, I'm going to, again, briefly do this. So I'm not just talking about the act of intercourse. I'm talking about a lot of other things that sometimes people will say, oh, well, that's just gray. As long as I, I'm not having intercourse, it's all good. Well, no, because because God created sex to be in a marriage in order to help with that bond with that person and to reflect, again, the beauty of the Trinity. And so, so let me be very, very clear with you. I meet with people on a weekly basis. I feel like I do this every time. I meet with people, okay? But I do meet with people, and, and a lot of their stories sound a lot like this. Well, we went too far, okay? Um, we did things that we weren't really wanting to do, and then he broke up with me, or she broke up with me. And then they're left heartbroken and wounded. Um, and, and they wonder, not wonder, but they, they look at it and they're like, almost baffled by it, but when I look at it, I'm like, well, that makes complete sense from a biblical perspective because that's meant for a husband and wife to bond. So so when you do this and you bond and then that person gets ripped away, it leaves you bloodied. That's what it does. So in the marriage relationship, when that other person's not leaving you, all of a sudden it becomes a beautiful thing to bond one another, um, but outside of it, it's no good. It's not good. And so I'm not trying to shame you if you've made choices or gone too far. I'm not shaming you at all. But what I am saying I'm trying to hold out for you is, is that it's worth waiting. It is so worth waiting. It is worth being able to give that gift to the person that you're going to marry and be with the rest of your life. It is also worth, if you've crossed boundaries and you're thinking to yourself, well, it's already too, too far gone at this point, it's worth um, committing yourself to abstinence up to the point that you get married from this point. It's worth it because you're doing your soul damage by trying to bond with somebody that you're not married to in that way, period. And so um, it provides a, a, a context for that, uh, the, those desires to be met in a way that's godly and that's good and that's beautiful and that's secure. In fact, that's the uh, next point, that um, marriage provides us with security. So, so something about the marriage relationship that's so cool is, is that like that other person... In a, from a biblical perspective, is going to be there until you die or they die. Okay? That we enter into a covenant that we're together. So what does that, what does that do for us? Well, it's really cool because it allows me and it allows Aaron to, 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 um, uh, really like, like struggle with one another, knowing that that other person isn't going to leave, that they're committed. Okay, we we I know like and it's so cool to think about like okay so we go through like little rough patches because that's every relationship, all right and it's kind of like oh man like I ate the last raisin bran cereal bowl or whatever last night it was cinnamon toast crunch right it was I don't know what it is about cereal but anyways she's like do you want to do you want to eat this yourself like all of it and I was like no we have another one but anyways um, that's beside the point what I'm trying to say is that that there's a security that I have with Aaron that I will never have with any of you guys. Never should have with any of you guys. There's a security I have with Aaron that I will never have with any other person on this planet. You see how beautiful that is? I'm committed to her. I've chosen her. She's committed to me. She's chosen me. 
And because of that commitment and because of that security in us submitting to God, we reflect something that secular society cannot reflect. We reflect something that, that whatever the image of like marriage or whatever you want to call it out there, that, that they can't because we have God at the center of our relationship and we're submitting to Him and we're submitting to one another. And, and it's such a beautiful and cool thing that, again, outside of that context, it doesn't make any sense and it, it, it can't happen. So um, let's talk about the application. And I have a, um, one video, one more video that I want to show you because it's really interesting. At least it was for me. And you guys are going to be like, well, this wasn't that interesting. Maybe you will. It's like a little psychology thing. It's pretty cool. Um, but let's talk about the application first. Marriage was instituted by God to reflect his image. So that's the big point, big point from, from tonight. Reflect his image. So, of course, Satan's going to hate, hate it and that we have a real, real enemy that wants to attack it. So if Aaron and I aren't placing God at the center of what we do, then we are fools to think that Satan's not going to try to infiltrate and try to break apart our marriage. We are fools because we have an enemy and he hates marriage because it reflects the image of God and he hates God. But when done right, marriage is the best image of God's love for us. So in the New Testament, it talks about how marriages are uh, an image of of Christ loving the church and the church loving Christ, that, that, that it's an image, a, a, a day-to-day, like, in-the-flesh image of the love of Jesus Christ for others to see. It's a testimony. The way that I love Aaron, the way that she loves me, is a testimony of the people around us of God's love for them. So finally, and this is just an application point for you guys, is to fight for more than culture offers you. Like, don't settle for, for anything less than what God's designed marriage for. It just isn't worth it. Like, what he's offered is so beautiful and so good when done right. And so, so don't settle for anything less um, than what you've been offered by God. Which brings me to this video. Um, so, I'm going to uh, show you this video. And, and this is not a, uh, from a Christian perspective, but I think that it's really cool because um, this is a secular uh, group um, talking about the importance of marriage and why marriage is so important. So, so... Take what we've talked about and the theology behind marriage and kind of lay that over the top of what they're about to talk about because this is really practical stuff where it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's tempting to think of marriage as old-fashioned. Why not just live with someone and be done with it? What need for a public 